Once again, I have put everything in the handout. Um, but if you would like to turn in your Bibles and read directly from your Bibles rather than the handout, we will be looking at Hebrews chapter 10 and Ezekiel tap, chapter 16. So if you want to mark your Bibles for that and read, read from there rather than through the handout, that's fine. Whichever way works best for you. I put it all in there. And I'll begin with page one of the handout. Again, the title is Characteristics of God's Grace, and this is our third study. And tonight we're going to look at the word sanctify, sanctifying grace. In our past two studies, we considered the covenant of grace, which is the basis of all the characteristics of God's grace. And we left off from part one with the Holy Spirit's part in that covenant between the great three and one by giving life to cold, dead sinners. Part two was a continuation of the role the Holy Spirit plays in regenerating grace. Tonight, we consider sanctifying grace. The grace of God in sanctifying a people who were once dead in trespasses and sin, yet are now set apart or made holy by acts of his grace. The word sanctify, agi adso, means to make holy. That is, ceremonially, to purify or consecrate, to set aside for holy uses or to set apart. God, in the character of his grace, has set aside a people to be holy and unblameable before him. We read that in Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 22, 21 and 22. It says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Yet now it says, now that we've been born again, now that we've been given life by the Spirit, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. God the Spirit separates us. He sets us apart from the world, preparing us to be used in the holy, in holiness. Vessels of mercy, his mercy. First Peter chapter 1, verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. So we see here the Word of God declares there is a sanctification part of the Spirit, and that is setting us apart. That's, that's the part of where that word comes from, we're setting us apart. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, we read these words, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. So we see the spirit's part not only in giving life, but in setting us apart. Well, as we just read in that last verse there in, in Second Thessalonians, it says, it says there, uh, God hath from the beginning chosen you. 
And on page two, we, we, we asked this question, chosen us, chosen us from where? From out of the world. He has chosen us from out of all the people that are born and that walk this earth. He's, folks, the world knows not God. As children of the Most High, you and I can clearly see right now, there was a time that we also knew not the true and living God. We could not know him in our natural walk. We walked according to the wickedness of this world. That's what we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Where in times past ye walked according to the course of this world. What is the course of this world? It's wickedness. It's sin. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, as children of God, we know that that's talking about us. We all had our conversation, our, our walk in this life in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Folks, contrary to the false self-righteous religionists that claim to be Christians, God does not love all men. His desire is not to save all mankind from their sins. I saw that on a posting the other day, of a relative of mine, and I wanted to, Kathy said, no, 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 don't you do that. You know, you're going to start trouble. You don't, don't answer those people. Just let them be. They said, God is, God wants to, to, to save you if you'll just let him or something to that effect. He's, he's, he loves all men. No, he doesn't. His desire is not to save all mankind from their sins. If it was his desire, it would happen. It would come true. It would be, yet it is his desire to save a remnant, a people he has loved with an everlasting love, as it says in Jeremiah 31.3. We're all familiar with that. He has loved us with an everlasting love, he says. It is his desire that he shall lose none of those for whom he died. If he could lose any, then his death is meaningless. Would, would you say that? Doesn't that make common sense? There is no power in the blood that was shed if he could lose anything. There would be no full assurance of salvation if our God could lose anyone for whom he died. The Spirit comes in the day of his love, and he gives life where there was nothing but death. We saw that last week in great depth. Setting a vessel of mercy aside for holy uses discarding that old, wicked, dead heart and giving us a heart of flesh, a heart of life, a, a new heart, a new tabernacle, a dwelling place for the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, my Lord. Did you know the Lord of glory dwells within your heart? That's what drives our heart to desire him. That's what drives our heart to desire to, to follow his statutes. That's what drives us to look to him when we have no other place to look to. He dwells in tabernacles made without hands. In Exodus 29, verses 42 through 46, we read this. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Remember, the Old Testament is pictures and types, shadows of things to come. 
before the of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak there unto thee, and there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified, set apart by my glory, and I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. And I will dwell among the children of Israel, page three, and I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. In Psalms 4, verse 3, but know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. Who is godly that has walked this earth outside of Christ? None. Absolutely none. Yet in Christ, everything we need to be in the presence of God Almighty is provided by our Savior. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Holy Spirit sets us apart from the world. Yet it is not the Spirit that can make a man holy. The Spirit cannot die. The Spirit does not bleed, and God is righteous and just. Isaiah 13, 11, and I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. Romans 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And then in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we read, for the wages of sin is death. So in those three verses alone, and there are many, many, many more, we see that the Spirit of God is not the one who can save mankind. He has his part. His part does not speak of himself, but speaks of the Lord Jesus himself. Continuing on now in page three of our handout, can a man make himself holy, I ask you? Everything about you and I is filled with sin. Folks, when Adam sinned, this is something very difficult for many to get it wrapped their minds around. Did you know everything that we see, everything that is about us, the worlds, the skies, the, 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 the stars, the heavens that we see from where we sit right now is going to burn up? Sin has affected everything in the first creation. Everything. The, the very ground that you walk on has been cursed. Cursed is the ground that you walk on, saith the Lord. Can a man make himself holy? Everything about us is filled with sin. We sin because we are sinners. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 through 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You know, only God's people know that. The rest of the world will go about and say, well, I'm not quite that bad. <laughs> I, I know, I, I know I I cussed once this week, so but I asked God to forgive me. But see, I'm not that bad. I haven't killed anybody yet. Yet. God's people must first be taught this. Our heart is desperately wicked, and we know it. There is no doubt in our minds 
that our hearts are desperately wicked. God's word is true all the way through. It's, a, it's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart, he says. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. I'm so thankful the Lord has some people that he doesn't give to the fruit of their doings. Whew. Some people he gives to the fruit of what his son has done. Amen. Proverbs 30, verse 12. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes. <laughs> that was John Reeves for a long time. That are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Can a man make himself holy? I ask again. Page four. Look with me at these words of God's prophet Ezekiel. In chapter 16, we begin at verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, this is the job of all of God's prophets. We go into the world and we say we say this, and I'm, I'm not. Folks, even you can be a prophet when you're speaking the Lord, word of the Lord. When you go to somebody and you say, thus saith the Lord, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. You're, you're acting as a prophet. You're, you're prophesying what God's word is all about. So this is what we do as God's prophets. When we go into the world, we, we, we say what the word of the Lord is. And it comes unto us by the word of God teaching us. Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know their abomination. How are you gonna how are you gonna seek after the Almighty God if you don't think you need one? Yeah. Verse three, and say, Thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan. What was the land of Canaan? The land of Canaan was idolatry. You come from a land of idolatry, free will worshiping. Thy father was an Amorite, and thy mother a Hittite. Verse 4, and as for thy nativity, thy birth, and the day that thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pity thee to do any of these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee. But thou wast cast out into the open field to the loathing of thy person. In the day that thou wast born, and when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy own blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thine own blood, in thy blood, live. Verse 7, I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased and waxen great and thou art come to excellent ornaments thy breasts are fashioned and thine hair is grown where whereas thou wast naked and bare now when i passed by thee and looked upon thee behold thy time was the time of love and i spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness yea i swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee saith the lord god and thou becamest mine now, here's what I wanted you to see. I read all that to describe. You see, we're talking about 
Jerusalem to know her abominations. You children of God, you who belong to God, we know what our abominations are. We see our abominations every day. Our sin is before us all the time. This is what I want you to see. Then washed I, says the Lord. Then washed I thee with water. Yea, thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. Can a man wash away his sins? Can a man make himself holy? No, but there is one who can. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Jesus Christ, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's only one way to be holy before God. Jesus saith unto them, unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14, 6. And there's only one who can make his people holy and presentable to God the Father. That's the God-man, Christ Jesus the Lord, the Son of the living God. Only the perfect, righteous blood of God in the flesh can wash away the sins of his people. And for him to do so, he must pay the debt. He must make an atonement. He must fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer. That's why the eternal Son of God must be manifest in the flesh, to die in our stead, to present himself as our sacrifice, our spotless lamb, our scapegoat, our city of refuge. Folks, the Son of God has always been the Son of God. He just wasn't in the flesh. He had to be born of a virgin, not of the seed of Adam, but of the seed of the Spirit, perfect in everything about him. Otherwise, he could not have been our sacrifice. He would not have been called our spotless lamb. He would not have been our scapegoat or our city of refuge. The sacrifices of man in serving the law were nothing but shadows of the only sacrifice worthy to be accepted. Our blood, the blood of animals, these are all under the curse of sin and could, not, could do nothing in washing away sin. Yet the perfect blood of Christ was sufficient. It did the job. God accepted the blood of his son. Look with me, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 10. Again, I have it in the handout if you'd like. I'll give you folks a moment to turn there if you want to follow through in your own Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10, we begin at verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. See there? Fulfilling of that law, the ceremonial law that was given to, to Moses and, and Aaron about the, uh, the ceremonies of the temple. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, all the sacrifices were nothing but a shadow of of Christ Jesus and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year, continually making, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Those, those sacrifices never did anything. It was the law and they had to, they had to follow the law. That was part of their ceremonial uh, works. But it never did anything. And, and you know what? Even in those days, I've thought about this. Have you thought about this before? Even in those days, 
when Israel was following after the lust of their own flesh, thinking they were fulfilling the law, you know, committing their own righteousness, there was still a group of people in that nation, in that people, who knew the truth and believed the truth because God's remnant has always been there. It's no different than it is today. The so-called Christian religions are so corrupt and have been turned to such abominations. Is it any wonder that God may be turning his back on this country? Oh, not to those of us who know the Lord. We've seen him do it before, haven't we? Just as there is now, a small group of people here, a small group of people down in San Diego, some in Texas, some in Tennessee, Kentucky, Australia, England, all around the world, Papua New Guinea, Papua New Guinea, God has his remnant of people. Oh, what a wonderful thing to think about. Where was I? Verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sins. All those offerings were nothing. Otherwise, there would have, they would have had no more conscience of sins. But it happened every year. They had to do it every year, over and over again. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins, what? Every year. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. Because that the worshipers, once purged, once washed, should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifices, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Notice how it said, when he came into the world. So we see right there the word of God declaring that God the Son has always been God the Son. He's the eternal God the Son. Yet Jesus Christ is God-man in the flesh. He had to come, and a body was prepared. In verse 6, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Page 6. Verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Remember what we were looking at in the book of Mark's? Three times our Lord brought his disciples together and declared to them that they would have to go up to Jerusalem. He would be killed. He would die. And he would raise again the third day. That's exactly what this is talking about right here. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Sanctifying grace. We see how the Lord Jesus is the only one who could exercise that grace in making his people holy by the blood, by the body, 
of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 11, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice, you know why there's only one? Because God doesn't have to do something twice. I think that's just about as simple as I can put it. God only has to do what he wants to do once, and it's done. After he'd offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. <laughs> We've been perfected forever. Those who are sanctified, set apart from the world by the Holy Spirit, those who are called out of the darkness and caused to shine the light of Jesus Christ in our hearts. Our Lord has perfected forever us. Verse 15, whereof the Holy Ghost is also witness to us. For after that, he said, he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Oh, to be made holy by our Savior. Listen to Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone that is a proud, that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Now stop there for a minute. When you say, when someone says, I came to the Lord, when someone says, I started following the Lord, when somebody says, I made a decision for Jesus Christ, when somebody says, I got baptized. When somebody says, I received Christ into my heart. Well, that last one, actually, we do receive Christ into our heart, but it's Christ who causes us right. to do that. It's all I, I, I. That's a proud heart. That's a heart that's puffed up, thinking more of itself than it could. Everyone that is of a proud heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Continuing in Proverbs 16, verse 6, we read this, but mercy and truth, or I'm sorry, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Remember, that word purge means washed, extracted, Washed away, washed clean, made holy. 
2 Corinthians 5, 21, we read these words, for he hath made him sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Who can make you holy? He who was made sin for his people. That's who. Not for the whole of mankind, but for us, it says. It says, he hath made him sin for us, not for the whole world. In John chapter 17, verse 9, I pray not for the world, but for them that thou hast given me. He was made sin for a particular people, folks. He was made sin for you and I, those that he has loved with an eternal love. Who He who is sanctified made holy his people. He who is our sanctification, our holiness, our righteousness. This is Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Lord of all glory, the Lord of all that is, Jesus Christ. Listen to these words from... uh, Oh, I forgot to put the scripture in there. I'm pretty sure it's Hebrews. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image. Yeah, this is Hebrews chapter one. He who being the brightness of his glory, the brightness of God, the father's glory and the express image image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sanctified us from our sins, washed us from our sins, made us holy. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 through 31, we read these words, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but him of God are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. We're talking about sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace, sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he was condemned in our stead. To God be the glory, great things he hath done.